Hello and welcome to the Literati Cast. I'm Jennifer Lawfren and I'm a senior agent at the Andrea Brown Literary Agency, where I rep children's books from baby books through YA and everything in between. Pride Month is coming to a close as I record this, but why stop in June? With my guest today, I hope to give you enough book recommendations to keep your reading list queer all year long. But first, I just want to talk for a minute about agents. So this topic will come up again in my interview today, but the I get a lot of questions because, of course, I am an agent. Um, I have an Ask the Agent Tumblr where people ask me anonymous questions. I get asked things on Twitter all the time. Um, and I feel like lately a lot of authors are asking me questions about leaving their agents or they have left their agent. They're searching for a new one or they're scared because they worry they're never going to get another agent or they feel bad because it took them a long time to get their first agent and they they are scared to leave um, or whatever. This topic generates a lot of angst and I get it. But here's my general advice regarding the etiquette of leaving an agent. First of all, it's not abnormal to leave your agent <laughs> or to have more than one agent in your career. Nobody has the same relationship with your agent as you do. Maybe your agent is great and phenomenal for you, but not so great for somebody else or vice versa. That's normal. I mean, you probably don't have the same relationship with every single one of your coworkers, I bet. There's probably people you can't stand to work with that other people love. That's natural. Sometimes maybe you have what's considered a superstar agent with an amazing client list, but for some reason it isn't working out for you. That doesn't mean that they suck or that you are a lemon. It's just natural that, you know, agents work in different ways and authors work in different ways and not everybody works perfectly with everyone. So your first step, if you're concerned that you might not want the same things for your career as your agent does, or you're just generally feeling ill at ease or whatever, is to talk to your agent. I can't stress this enough. Your agent can't fix a problem that they don't know exists. And relationships of all kinds, including agent-author, take work from both sides. I know that sometimes people, authors, especially if they're brand new, they might feel really nervous about talking to their agent. But that's problematic because your agent is the one person that is supposed to, you're supposed to be able to be candid with and transparent with, and they're supposed to be welcoming of that. So if you feel really scared of your own agent, maybe that's a sign of something. <laughs> I don't know if it's a sign that they're not a good fit for you. Maybe it's a sign that you need to get into a little bit of therapy and unpack why that might be. Um, or, you know, just try it, rip the bandaid off and talk to them and see if your fears are unfounded because they probably are. Most agents are pretty good with people and they love authors. So, I mean, I would just strongly suggest that you talk to them. Let's say you've had that conversation. You've voiced your concerns. You've been honest, but it hasn't yielded the results you hoped for. Um, and whether you're actively unhappy or you just feel like it's time for a change, or maybe you what you want from your career has changed over time, or the style of books that you write has changed over time, it's fine. You're not trapped in this relationship. But what you really shouldn't do is go agent hunting before you have actually left your current agent. I know you might be freaked out. Like, what if you fire your agent and then you can't find a new one? Um, it took you 
long time to get this agent. <laughs> um, you don't want to enter that scary pool again. Um, so I know it's very tempting to like test the waters by sending out material or opening up conversations with new agents, but it's a bad idea. Um, if you haven't left your current agent, why? Well, if an agent offers you rep while you're still agented, they are a poacher. It is frankly shitty and unethical. I personally detest poachers. Like, sorry to be extra passionate about this topic, but it's seriously so gross. Please don't put an agent in this position. You should query only when you're unencumbered. You've made a clean break. Otherwise, it seems seedy. It's like you're trolling around on dating sites while you're still married. Ew. Here's the other thing. It's not a race. So let's say you leave your agent for whatever reason. Maybe your agent actually leaves the business. Um, you don't have to sign with the first next person you find. Just like when you leave any long-term relationship, it's really healthy to take some you time, especially if you were with that agent for a while, or maybe there was stress, uh, a stressful moment before you actually broke it off. Maybe you psyched yourself out for a while. You might even feel like you have some like PTSD syndromes, okay? Take a beat. Slow down. Take time to self-assess. Think about what didn't work for you in the last agent relationship, as well as what you want in your next one, what your goals are. In your heart of hearts, where do you see your career in five years? What projects are you working on now? What is your absolute dream project? These are all the things you should bear in mind when you're querying new agents. And ideally, you should have a new project that a new agent can sell. So a lot of times people query me when they have stuff already under contract or they have projects that have been heavily shopped, but they don't have anything new. So then what happens? I might love you, but if a project has already been extensively shopped, I probably can't sell it. And what if I sign you and then you write the new thing and I realize that I don't know how to sell it? That's not productive for either of us. So I strongly suggest whenever possible, that you have something fresh to query with so that you and your new agent can start from a place of excitement with a brand new project. Anyway, I'm sorry that got a lot longer than I expected. I didn't mean to go off, but uh, now I'm going to get back to what I started at the beginning, which is to introduce my guest. Yes, I have a guest. It's not just me ranting. Uh, today, I'm so pleased to welcome Dahlia Adler. She's a novelist, a blogger, and a queer book expert. She's going to talk about promoting authors, navigating social media, Twitter pitch contests, avoiding, avoiding burnout, and so much more, as well as giving us a lot of great book recommendations. So please do get your pen and paper handy. But if you don't get a chance to jot the titles down, I will have all the info in the show notes on my website. Let me see if I can get Dahlia on the line. Hi, Dahlia. Hi. I'm so pleased to welcome you. I'm so pleased to be welcomed. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. So you wear a lot of hats, as I mentioned in your intro. You're an author, you're an anthology editor, you're a blogger, you blog for BNN Teen, as well as running the LGBTQ read sites. You're generally a social media big mouth. So normally I ask about like path to publication or career trajectory, but yours is more like a career octopus, <laughs> I think. Can you give us the that. nutshell, like, what's the deal with Dahlia? 
Sure. So this is, I mean, publishing in general and writing in general is pretty much the only thing I've ever wanted to do. So all the jobs, the internships, everything has sort of been in kind of the same vein. So I was a journalism major in college, and I found that's been really helpful when doing interviews for blogging or for editing. I interned at Maxim when I thought I wanted to work in magazines. I, mm. uh, I've interned in production at Simon & Schuster and publicity at HarperCollins. So if you're like, why does she think she knows stuff? It's because I have worn a lot of hats in this industry. <laughs> um, and then writing is really just since I was a kid. So it's really both of those things have been things I really wanted to do for a very long time. And the fact that they have ways that they intersect, but can also be completely independent. Um, really kind of works wonderfully for me. Uh, and I find interest and love in all of it. So writing happened by just deciding one day, okay, I need money badly enough to try to <laughs> pursue publication, even though I'm terrified of sharing my work. And then I kind of never, I mean, the terror stays, but at a, at a lower level. And that's, I never went back to God, I never want anyone to read anything I write ever again. So that was nice. Um, and getting to kind of work out the journalism muscle via blogging and also just my general book love has been really wonderful. So I'm very lucky to get to do a lot of things. <laughs> nice. When I think about you, the word that comes to mind is that you're a connector. Hmm. So like with LGBTQ reads in particular, I think you're building or have built a digital community of sorts. And I want to unpack that a little bit. Like, how do you make connections and do things that matter in a time where everybody seems to have like their own blog, Instagram, Twitter, whatever? There's just so much noise. So I think the really big key for me and what got me kind of picked up as a blogger in the first place is that I really love mid-list books. And there tends to be a lot of focus on the big bestsellers and everything that everyone else is already talking about. But if you're writing about what everyone else is already talking about, then like, what are you offering that people can't find in 37 bigger outlets? Mm -hmm. So I think that what draws people to me and makes them listen to me, which my God makes me sound like a tool, but yeah. <laughs> like I will be the way that a lot of people find out about books that aren't really getting attention from their publishers. Um, and especially with something like if you're looking for, lesser known queer rep and often, especially earlier, I mean, if you ever talk to, you know, like Tess Sharp, author of Far From You, which had for most people, the first bi rep that they had seen really on the page and came out in 2014, but wasn't marketed that way at all and took off after people found out that's what it was, you will see the way that um, connecting people with what they're looking for, but publishing is kind of avoiding marketing as such really, really makes a big difference in helping books find their ideal readers. And then once they find those readers, I mean, the organic publicity really takes off. So, I mean, and not to mention, you have found these readers books that matter to them incredibly, and they want more like them, and they want to support the people writing them. So as a general thing, it means a lot to me to connect books with the right readers. I think it does a lot for authors. And I just think it's more interesting. Like I love those books. I love what I find in them. And I think it's really special to find other people who feel the same way and who finally learn, oh my God, that stuff is out there. Publishers aren't telling me it's out there, but it is really, really out there. Um, and I love, love facilitating that conversation and finding books that like 
make people's lives. And I also just really like letting authors know, I see you. I know it feels like nobody does, but I'm really loud and I really see you. (laughs) I'm going to make as many other people see you as possible because you deserve it. You're awesome. Yay. Yay. (laughs) So, So a lot of authors, you know, on the social media side, a lot of authors ask, oh my God, I'm shy. Do I need to have a blog, an Instagram, a Twitter or whatever? Obviously, I think that social media is important for plenty of reasons. Like, mm-hmm. I get to meet people like you. Yay! But, <laughs> but also, but as a whole, I mean, I think you would probably agree that the influence of blogs and whatnot seems to be dwindling somewhat as opposed to 10 years ago, probably because there's just so much now. Um, but point being, given that you're a social media wizard, what is your advice for authors who are wondering how much they have to do social media-wise? So, I mean, I think this is probably the most common advice, but it's still the right advice. You find the thing that works for you and that's what you put your heart and soul in. If you try to work through every single kind of social media, you're going to burn out fast and you're going to honestly just probably get depressed by the stuff that feels like it doesn't come naturally to you. But like, there's a good chance something does. I am not good at doing things well with Facebook. I am honestly, not really good at Instagram. I wish I was. I literally don't even know what Snapchat really is. (laughs) um, And I'm learning how to use Tumblr because for me, it's a fantastic um, social media option for LGBTQ reads specifically because people can ask for book recommendations anonymously. And that's really important for obvious reasons. Um, But for me, the one I've connected to is Twitter. It's where I have the largest following, but it's also where I feel like I'm connecting with people the most and meeting the most people. And I think it's wonderful. So that's the one I chose to pursue. And I see other people who hate it, but completely rock Instagram and have beautiful visual skills and a lot of patience to type out long captions on their phones, which I do not, or maybe (laughs) they're doing it another way and I just know nothing. But (laughs) there's probably something that clicks with the way that you want to operate. And there's probably an existing community there. And I just think that's what you should be doing. For me, I happen to also love blogging. It's true. I, I can't say that the relevance for it feels like it's there in the way that it used to be. I think it is probably that there are a lot and that a lot are offering the same thing. I mean, even when I look at some of the bigger blogs, I see that they're kind of just copying and pasting in the book descriptions from the publishers. And I'm like, well, nothing in here really convinces me unless, you know, I've never seen the blurb before and it happens to be amazing. Um, Or like when I see queer book lists and I can't figure out from the description how it's queer, I'm like, if I'm not getting the feeling that the blogger read and loved the book, then what's it doing for me? You're just telling me it exists. And yes, there is something huge in that visibility, but it's not selling me anything. Right. So I think authors need to find what shows their passion the best in addition to what they're most comfortable with. I think that those are both factors. And the answer could be nothing. It could be absolutely none of this is for you. And then like, just write like the wind, you know, (laughs) your next book is the best thing anyway. So if you don't want to spend your time on this stuff, just don't like, obviously I am also extremely pro social media. But when you're not, it shows it doesn't do anything for you. And it probably just depresses you that it's not working for you. So like, take care of your mental health. Do what actually works for you. And if that's just writing, just writing is amazing. Do it. Yes, agreed. (laughs) Um, So in addition to the books, the anthologies, writing for multiple websites, running LGBTQ reads, somehow you also live life, have a family. But like, 
I want to know how, <laughs> because I know how hard it is to even keep up with my own website that only has new releases on it, let alone create content daily for multiple sites in addition to everything else. So how do you avoid burnout? It's really hard. And I'm not going to pretend that I never burn out. And for me, a really, really tough thing was, I think that especially the past few years where I haven't released new novels. I mean, I've had short stories and anthologies and I'm so grateful for those opportunities and I love them. Um, and now I have my own coming in September, but I, I felt like people kind of viewed me as a professional fangirl and like other people's books were taking priority over mine. And I, I'm not going to pretend that that was not a hard thing to take. A thing I did in 2019 was put myself first as an author and take some hiatus from blogging. And I mean, not from all blogging, obviously I can't, but, um, but I definitely did considerably less for Barnes and Noble so that I could finish writing my own manuscript. And it was a great move. I think you need to figure out what needs to come first. And sometimes something else is going to have to get out of your life for that. And it can't be my day job because that's where, you know, money comes <laughs> really from kind of important, yeah, <laughs> kind of important money and insurance comes from and it's certainly not going to be my kid and my family um part of what helps me not burn out is that unless I absolutely have to I'm on deadline I don't I don't work when I come home from work I mean that's time with my kid and then my husband comes home and we eat dinner together and watch tv and like that's it I am not telling myself that's writing time it just isn't because five years ago it was writing time and that was burnout that also made me feel like a bad person and family member. So um, I think it is important to recognize what time is not going to be writing time, is not going to be work time, and never to beat yourself up about it, um, to consider that part of just being a functioning human being. So Sundays for me are button chair do work for as long as I can have somebody else watching my kid, um, which thankfully my mother-in-law and my husband are both awesome among other family members. Um, and, you know, sometimes my commute is writing and you just have to figure out where it fits into your day. But you also really, really have to give yourself breathing room. And you, anytime you're beating yourself up, you're not doing anything good for yourself. Um, and then, you know, I, as I think most people know, I'm modern Orthodox Jewish. I observe Sabbath. So I'm never working Friday nights or Saturdays. Those are always family time. And that's always reading time. Um, and it's friend time. So, you know, it's very traditional. We invite each other for lunch and hang out there for a few hours and kids play together. So that's a lot of how I maintain having a social life. Um, and, but it's, it's my reading time. So the books that I'm blogging about, that's when I'm reading them. So things in my life really have their windows. Uh, and that really helps. And then a thing I do that I love that I highly recommend if it works into your life is, um, my best friends and I, like my best friends from high school, we have dinner together once a month. Um, which I think it's so important to maintain relationships that aren't all in publishing, all among authors, for sure. So I mean, that's, that's been a little bit of a lifeline for me. And I really, really love that that has kept up for years. Well, that's good. I mean, I can't say that I know anybody who's not in publishing. So. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I mean, I don't know a ton of people who aren't, but I, you know, I, I still live where I grew up. So and so do most of my friends. So they're here. That part is a little different. That's why I mean, like, if it fits into your life, sometimes that's not remotely possible. Um, but so I have my, you know, Jewish friends who are around and I have my high school friends who are still kind of around in the city. And, and that helps a lot with having a non-publishing life for sure. 
That's good. I mean, I do feel like sometimes it can be really hard to have perspective. Yeah. Like when you're in it, when we're gossiping about whatever the latest book scandal is or whatever, it's helpful, I think, to realize like, oh, literally nobody else cares about this and it's not actually important in the big grand scheme of things. Yeah. <laughs> so the um, number of people in my life who don't know what Goodreads is has been a very healthy reminder. Oh yes. That's a boon. Oh, okay. Great. Um, so let's talk about your author life now. Yeah. Um, I would say you're mostly known for delicious, sexy, contemporary YA and new adult romance. Why, thank you. And of course there'll be links to your website and all your books in the show notes. But as you mentioned, you edited a super cool anthology that comes out in September that I know people will want to have on their radar. Yeah. Um, his hideous heart feels like a departure for you a bit. So what is it? How did the idea come about? Tell us everything. It's funny because it's definitely a departure for me as an author, but it is not at all a departure for me as a reader and fan because I'm hugely into thrillers and just general creepiness. So the idea came about... Um, <laughs> oh, wait. What is it first? Oh, I'm sorry. His part <laughs> is an anthology of um, Poe retellings, all by YA authors who are stars of like thriller, fantasy, horror, etc. Um, it's amazing. So it's, it's 13 different Poe poems or stories retold as YA. Um, and the idea came about because on Twitter, I asked, you know, I posed the general question... Uh, if you could have any author retell any story, what would you choose? Uh, and a lovely teacher named Jacqueline said, I would love a Poe anthology. Uh, and she suggested some authors that she would like in it. And I, you know, I said, I love that idea. Here are two authors. Like, I would love it for Tiffany Jackson and Stephanie Keene. And I'm huge fans of both of them. They both do these psychological, intense thrillers and are just brilliant and perfect for the kind of stuff Poe does. And then Tiffany and Steph were like, oh, yeah, I would do that. I would do that. And then other authors started saying, I would do that. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I think I am going to make this happen. And so that is why the book is dedicated to Jacqueline. Uh, <laughs> um, absolutely her idea. Um, but, uh, this is where my being a huge reader of it was an asset is I pat myself on the back so hard for just finding the most brilliant authors for that lineup. Some came to me directly on Twitter. So that was easy. And then when I realized that this was happening, I was like, I got to get off Twitter and email all my other dream contributors. So I can make <laughs> this happen with the most perfect lineup possible. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what I went ahead and did. So I feel, and this is again, like a lot are midlist authors who I just know are amazing and I don't think get enough attention. And uh, yeah, I, I feel good about how that ended up coming out. So you're working on a new YA, which I happen to know because you pitched it in a recent online contest. Was it Pitch Wars? Pit Mad? Pit Mad. I get confused. Yeah. Um, so I read the tweet, which made me request the book and I loved the book. Thank you. I don't want to talk too much about it since it isn't published yet, but just to give us a taste, remind us what was the pitch that you tweeted that was so enticing? So cool for the summer is about a girl who finally gets the guy she's been crushing on forever only to have her unexpectedly female summer fling, at transferred to her school for senior year. So if she's finally got the guy, why can't she stop thinking about the girl? Um, or as I like to refer to it, bisexual Greece with better life choices. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently struck a chord as a tagline, um, which I'm glad about. I'm actually not a big Greece fan. I did not love it. So the better life choices part is uh, a very important addition to me. Yes. 
Absolutely. I'm so excited about this project. I can't wait to see where it lands. And I happen to know that this week you signed with a new agent. Congratulations. Hi, Dong Wan. (laughs) So I'm now with Dong Wan Song, um, who actually, he does a little bit. He's done contemporary with Marcus Shiro's uh, Anger is a Gift and YAFF. But I think I will be the first contemporary FFYA. So that will be an exciting adventure. Nice. Um, so obviously this contest worked for you, but what are your feelings in general about Twitter pitch contests as opposed to just querying? I mean, I have feelings as an agent. I'm curious <laughs> from your I Look, I mean, straight up, I kind of had a lot of regrets about doing the Twitter contest. It was a little overwhelming as far as requests went. And I mean, this is, I've never heard a more privileged problem, but there were so many <laughs> likes on the tweet that I, they actually buried the earlier uh, likes. So I couldn't even see everybody who ended up requesting and I didn't end up sending to a bunch. Um, so they definitely have their flaws and pit mad. It's like, <laughs> not to say like, what's the point, but it's a little bit. What's the point you, you just end up sending a query anyway. All I did was know kind of exactly who to, I think if you're very new and you actually don't know how to do that research for yourself, they can make a lot of sense. That's not my situation. Uh, So I feel like I generally know who would be good for my work. But look, I say that, and (laughs) I ended up getting to send to you who I didn't know could rep adult, which is another thing that I want to do. And I ended up with an agent that in a million years, I never would have queried because I didn't know he was interested in contemporary at all. So PitMed ended up actually being how I got my agent, but I... I, uh, you know, as a general rule, I, I kind of don't fully get it, even as obviously I kind of get it because I did it. Um, <laughs> the big exception for me is DV Pit because I think there you really need to know who is welcoming to the kinds of stories that publishing has not historically been welcome to. Um, you know, you kind of can't just guess from from people's websites saying I'm into diversity. So I think DV Pitt is is actually really important and has brought some amazing books to the forefront that I can absolutely see why authors would be like, I am afraid to send out this book that's so close to my heart to agents that may make me feel like garbage about it. Um, I really want to feel welcomed with the story I'm telling that's really personal and has, you know been so marginalized. So DB Pitt is my big exception to how I feel about Twitter pitch contests. I mean, pitch wars, I don't really think of as a Twitter pitch contest because there's so much behind the scenes. I actually think pitch wars is wonderful too. Um, but Pit Mad is like, I don't really get it. But also I'm a jerk for saying that because it did make it different yeah. for me. So <laughs> that's my feel. But like, I don't like when people think querying doesn't work, I think is my big problem. I don't like anything that gives the impression querying doesn't work because or like that that's not how most people get their agents because of course it is. So, yeah. I mean, I have definitely found a couple of clients via some kind of online something, mm-hmm. but I just feel like for the most part there's so many participants. Yes. And I'm one human person yeah. who is also it's always on a work day. Right. So, I have approximately 15 minutes a day that I can spend on Twitter when I'm working. So I know it seems like I'm on there a hundred hours a day, but I'm truly not. <laughs> so um, I'm just very good with 15 minutes. Right. I think for so, newer agents who don't really know how to network and find authors and get their name out there, I think that's actually who it's kind of wonderful for. Um, 
So I definitely don't begrudge any of them for like being really into pitch contests because it's, it's tough. I mean, it, it kind of anyone, as we know, can set up an agent shingle. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's part of my problem with pitch contests. But when you are somebody good and new and you want to help get your name out there and show your taste, I think that they can be great. Absolutely. Um, I've talked a bit before in other conversations about like author agent breakups and finding a new agent, but I feel like listeners would really value your perspective from an author's point of view on this. You've been around the block a time or two. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that people feel so much pressure just to get an agent, get an agent. And then once they have an agent, sometimes they're scared to ever mention that it might not be working out or whatever. Maybe what advice would you give an author who's in that place where they don't know if they should drop their agent or they're scared they will never get another agent or whatnot? Look, communication is so important. And I don't think you should ever leave an agent without discussing the things that are bothering you. That said, sometimes you've said it 10 times in 10 different ways and you realize your agent is never fully going to understand what you're trying to tell them. Um, It might be because you're too nice about how you say it. I don't know what, I mean, I have definitely had that problem where I'm like, I don't know any more ways to say this issue I'm having without just kind of (laughs) yelling at you like a jerk. Um, But, you know, there's a point at which if you're, my feeling in general, if you're losing faith in the process, if you're losing faith in your agent, if you feel like you're not moving forward with the person that you're with, it's probably time to make a change. And I think Mm -hmm. anyone who's been in a bad relationship with an agent understands the, you know, the whole a bad agent is worse than no agent thing. I think it's very hard to believe until you've had one, but people don't realize the lasting effect because if they make bad contracts with you, you're stuck in them. If, you know, if they're not by your side, you can end up having to deal with legal matters entirely by yourself and hiring lawyers. And that is garbage. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to be unhappy with agents. And it doesn't always mean that they're bad agents. Sometimes it's just what you want has changed. You may suddenly want to start writing in a category that they don't. Uh, I think you always have to feel with an agent like you are capable of moving forward. And if you're not feeling that with an agent, if you're feeling like you've outgrown the experience that you're having with them, that's also a time to move on. And I think people don't talk about that as much, you know, like they feel as, mm-hmm. like if their agent isn't bad, then they can't justify leaving. But relationships change and what you want changes. And I think it's really important to recognize what that is. And I definitely understand the fear of, oh my God, this is never going to happen for me again. And yeah, sometimes it's tough. It definitely is. But you are not in a better position by being with a bad agent who can't sell you. Like, What's the advantage to that? At least with no agent, you have some possibilities and you can keep looking and new people are going to come on the market and you're going to write new things. And you did this once, you can do it again. I really, really firmly believe that most of the people I know who broke up with agents moved on to second ones. I know so few authors who are still on their first agents. Like it's kind of a unicorn thing because not only does your agent have to stay on the same page as you at all times, but the way that your career has changed has to kind of have stayed the same at all times. So you know, or it all has to work together. And that just doesn't always happen. So don't be afraid to speak up to make the changes that you need to recognize for yourself that what you want has changed. And to look for the person who's really the best match for what you want to do and who you want to be. Um, 
oh, that's okay. You're going to be okay. I swear. It's not, but <laughs> you're going to be okay. Agreed. Um, thank you for that pep talk. <laughs> Uh, sure. I so, don't know if that's kind of enough, you know, it's, it's, I, well, I mean, I think it's important to hear because I think that people just feel so, um, guilty or like, maybe they're like, no, she's a really good right. agent, but like, okay. Right. But if it's not good for right. you, it then it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, I would recommend a bunch of the agents I didn't sign with just now really, really highly. I already have been. I mean, after each phone call, I've kind of, you know, if I really liked somebody, I've been like running to a friend and saying, okay, I know in a few months, you're going to be looking for new representation. Let me tell you how good this person's editorial notes are and why I think they're such a good fit for you. Like, Mm -hmm. that's just going to happen. So I'm really glad that there are some great people out there. And I just more people should know about that. I, I wish there was a little just more discussion, more transparency about who's really good. So people can feel Mm -hmm. good about, you know, what's out there if they're in a position where they have to leave. Well, but I mean, I think that there is a lot of talk about what's good. Oh, I I hear so much. I I mean, I just hear so much more about what's bad. And I was really nervous to query this time because I was like, there are six people on my list. Why is everyone terrible? (laughs) And then I got out there and you know what? Everyone's not terrible. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends on where you are in the process. I right. think if you're new, everybody sounds like a rock right. star. That and if you're definitely off. <laughs> and if you're um, you know, published and you have a ton of publishing friends, then you hear about everybody's drama right. with agents that are probably good for a lot of people right. and just, you know, you have a problem. Anyway, right. So that's what I mean. I think you know a lot about <laughs> the bad, which is extremely important. Like those warnings have to get out there. But I think sometimes the nuance on why they're bad for you and actually great for your friend often gets lost. That's what I mean. I think I wish people did more of that nuance exploration and and a little matchmaking based on who people are and not just the experience you had with them. Right. Um, but you're a born matchmaker. As <laughs> I, so I think that we understand that. Um, so as we recorded this pride month is coming to a close Ooh. 2019, but obviously we are proud queer readers all year Hell long yeah. and you are an absolute genius at giving book recommendations. So can we do a bit of a quick fire, queer wrecking ball situation? Damn straight. Always. All right. Queer book for Swords and Dragons high fantasy fan. Uh, Shatter the Sky by Rebecca Kim Wells, which I blurbed, comes out July 30th. Um, and I always recommend this for fans of Ink Mistress by Audrey Culthurst. So by Protags, Dragons, can't go wrong. Nice. Um, queer book set in space. Oh, uh, The Disasters by MK England, which is wildly fun. A book for an older teen or grown-up who likes politics and romance. Okay, it feels like this was set up just to get me to push Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, and that is fine. It was. Because I wrote that book (laughs) all day long. That bi rep is so good, it made me cry. It is so much fun. It is so hopeful. It is wonderful. Yeah, I that literally I just wanted to talk about that book because I love it so much. It's so so great. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, how do I phrase this? People who like the West Wing and also royal gossip. It's like joy in a book, but without forcing a world where completely wildly unrealistic things and reactions happen. So it feels like it could actually be life in this wonderfully optimistic way, plus it pretends Trump never happened. Which is that actually made yeah, me? Yeah, I mean that was the greatest like alternate 
alternate 2018. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so a YA book that is not a romance, but still features LGBTQ. Super underrated favorite being fish killed by Ruth Lerer. It's a really tough read content warnings for everything, but it has a questioning clearly going to eventually come out as queer when she's older protagonist, And it is brutal and beautiful. Um, how about a fave graphic novel? I'm extremely excited for the upcoming Mooncakes by Wendy Shue and Suzanne Walker. And I have heard wonderful things about it and like queer teen witch pro tag and just, I mean, it sounds so good. Well, you had me at queer teen witch. Yeah. So. <laughs> that is <laughs> October 15th, 2019. Um, how about a middle grade? Ah, I just read Zenobia July by Lisa Bunker, which has a trans girl pro tag and just all these queer secondary characters, non-binary, um, the main character is a non-binary friend, which also you don't really see much in middle grade. Um, and she's a hacker and it's great. Okay. Um, this is wild card. Any other must reads, but maybe let's contain ourselves to just a couple that are very recently released or about to come out because I know you could talk at length about a thousand books. If I let you, you. think, you know me, you are absolutely right. Um, <laughs> I am super into that. Rom-coms are big this year. I will only shout out two that I really love, which are hot dog girl and tell me how you really feel. Um, and then one that's coming up that I absolutely love is The Last True Poets of the Sea by Julia Drake, which has this great coastal, intense feel, um, and found family and, you know, complex biological family and just all these wonderful things. And I keep saying it's a little bit like The Weight of the Stars by Kayla Ancrum meets How to Make a Wish by Ashley Herring Blake. And I also just want to mention that I think Kayla Ancrum and Ashley Herring Blake are two of the most brilliant writers doing queer way. And actually, Ashley's also doing queer middle grade right now. And honestly, you cannot go wrong by checking out books by either of them. Nice. Mm -hmm. So I will have links to all of these books and authors in the show notes. Uh, so if people didn't, you know, were driving and didn't get a chance to jot all those down, they'll be able to find them again. Yeah, very um, <laughs> Yes. So as I ask all my guests, as you know, what are you obsessed with? It does not have to be bookish, but it can be. While you are thinking up your obsession, I will tell you mine. Mine, for once, is actually bookish. Woo books! Woo books! <laughs> so my dog has been weird and waking me up at like 3 a.m. every day, so then I can read. Mm -hmm. um, the other day I couldn't go back to sleep, and I read a whole book, which was a oh miracle. Um, it was a grown-up romance novel. Mm. So it's called Unmasked, Unmasked by the Marquess oh, by Cat Sebastian. Yeah. So um, it has a couple of my favorite tropes. One is cross-dressing to get out of one sticky situation, only to end up in an infinitely stickier one. Mm. And also, poor con artist bamboozles rich aristocrat. Mm. Um, I know. I love cross-dressing books i will say i know that cross-dressing trope can be problematic however the heart wants what it wants and my heart wants old-timey ladies wearing trousers i understand so <laughs> also Sebastian, so i haven't this, actually read but i know is like reported to do really great queer up and historical yes so in this particular romance robin who was assigned female at birth but she doesn't feel particularly ladylike according to the strictures of the era mm. She dresses as a man in order to attend Cambridge and take care of her, their young and beautiful ward until she can get married. And she has, they have a run in with an imperious aristocrat who might destroy everything. 
But surprise, the aristocrat turns out to be like bi or pansexual and is not put off by the male dress, but in fact falls in love with and wants to marry Robin. But Robin is non-binary and does the idea of having to wear a dress and be a grand lady duchess or whatever is anathema to them. So basically the book interrogates the whole trope of it, you know, disguise and you know, what all that means. Mm. It's also sexy and fun. I've never read anything quite like it. I devoured it. And I know that there's a lot to discuss and unpack, but since I'm the only person I know who has read it, now everybody else has to read it. So we can talk about it. (laughs) Oh, I'm surrounded by so many queer uh, romance authors. I feel like so many people I know have read it and I just have to jump on the Cat Sebastian train eventually. I'm not a huge historical romance person, but I feel like for queer romance, I should be making an exception. So I really do want to try. Yes. Okay, Dahlia, what are you obsessed with? (laughs) So my obsessions are always bookish because I don't have time for so much else. Unless you count TV, actually. (laughs) I am obsessed with... No, I count TV. Yeah, okay. So I can... I mean, so... (laughs) I know new adult is not everybody's jam as a concept, but um, I really love TV shows that tackle that phase of life. Uh, Good Trouble, which is a spinoff of The Fosters, which I love The Fosters, but you don't have to have watched it. Um, Good Trouble on Freeform um, took my two favorite characters from the Fosters and gave them a show where they moved to LA together. And I am obsessed with it. I think it is wonderful and fun and sexy. And there's, there is a bi character and he has a trans sister. And there's one of the main characters is um, a female coder and she's Latina. So she has all these things working against her at work. And then the other one is in these complicated cases as a, judge's clerk, um, which because my husband went to law school, not a lot of that stuff is familiar to me. And he's a lawyer. He didn't just stop there. Sorry. Um, and it's, it's really fun. And there's a lesbian main character who's dealing with, you know, kind of still being in love with her best friend, or maybe she isn't anymore. Anyway, I just, I love like everything about it. So good trouble on free form. Also home to Gronish and the bold type, which have all kind of just been making my summer. I mean, and then there's Younger, which is on TV land. So, yes. And Younger, by the way, new season just started yes, a week great. or two ago. I watched the first episode in like, I don't like in a party. Like my friends are so into it. They actually made a party to watch the season premiere, but I'm the only one there who works in publishing. So I'm the annoying one yeah. sitting there going like, those meetings don't happen. That's not real. And I don't, I don't know if they're still having parties for every episode, but I am no longer invited. <laughs> did you? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, did you watch the episode this week? No. Oh, no, I'm behind. Uh-oh, then I won't tell you anything. I mean, but if there's still a 20-something publisher with her own imprint, I still hate it. So. <laughs> Okay, Dahlia, thank you so much. Thank you so much for for having me. This was great. Thanks again to my guest, Dahlia Adler, and thanks to you for listening to Literati Cast. The show notes, including that list of books we discussed on this episode, are on my website, jenniferlofren.com. The Literati Cast has a Patreon. Throw in a book at patreon.com slash literaticat to help the pro- keep the program running or just leave a review if you like the show and are so inclined. Reviews do help other folks find the show. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. <laughs>